Hello everyone, it's a pleasure to be here um, in another session of our series of interviews with thought leaders and global experts for citiesabc.com, our platform to link, connect and uh, rank cities worldwide and as well a platform for social impact related uh, with the present situation in the world tar targeting our society with uh, all the advances of technology but as well as the challenges right now specifically with COVID-19 and coronavirus. Um, I'm Dinis Guarda, I'm the founder and, and uh, CEO of uh, the company that manages uh, Cities ABC and as well the organization behind this. And today we have Prof Professor Jamal Unish. I don't know if I spell it correctly, but you can go back with a, with a, with a proper spelling. But um, is a an academic and a professor and chair in business analytics at the University of Edinburgh Business School and member of the Senate. And he holds positions such as member of the Business School Executive Board, head of management science and business economics, and director of masters in business analytics and uh, exchange programs. Um, he's going to talk us more about his background, his education, and of course, uh, being a person that is on the cutting edge of business analytics, uh, machine learning, and as well a coder himself, both a researcher and a coder, it's particularly interesting, especially bearing in mind everything that is happening in the world and um, how we see from the education angle, from the business analytics, and as well from a data and technology perspective. So welcome to our series of interviews, Professor Jamal. Uh, an honor to have you here. And uh, to start, I think the, my first question is if you could uh, talk about your background from education until you, you came to the university and of course you start this amazing um, um, intellectual and research career. All right, so in terms of uh, background, I, I have actually uh, a Canadian education background. Uh, I did my... Uh, bachelor's degree in mathematics, pure mathematics at the University of Montreal. And then uh, an MSc in operational research at the, again, University of Montreal, the engineering school, I call it Polytechnic. And then I did my PhD at, the, at Laval University in uh, operations management and decision support systems. And then I uh, spent a couple of years at the Eindhoven University of Technology in the Netherlands as a postdoc, and then went back to academia. Uh, I worked for several uh, Canadian universities before moving to the University of Edinburgh in the UK. Uh, so in terms of uh, my... Uh, I would say scientific profile, but uh, more on service to community. Uh, I sit on the editorial board of eight academic journals, and I am the associate editor, one of the associate editors of the Journal of Optimization Theory and Applications. Uh, <clears throat> I uh, act as a referee for over 30 academic journals, several international conferences, and several national and foreign uh, research councils. Uh, my uh, research uh, is basically in uh, the area of analytics, uh, both predictive and prescriptive analytics. Uh, and it deals with uh, the technical side of things, uh, such as the design of uh, decision support systems for uh, assisting uh, decisions in uh, manufacturing, transport, public sector policy, banking, finance, and energy. Uh, most of my contributions, uh, methodological contributions, are in the fields of optimization, artificial intelligence, data involvement analysis, multi-criteria decision analysis, performance evaluation and benchmarking, risk modeling analysis, and forecasting. Uh, currently, um, I'm working on uh, uh, several projects. Um, most of them would involve analytics uh, in one way or, uh, or another, uh, using mathematical programming and artificial intelligence methodologies, uh, multi-criteria decision analysis, data involvement analysis, uh, and uh, classification algorithms. Uh, in terms of the applications, um, 
Applications uh, basically evolve around the design and operational management of supply chains, including cyclic scheduling of manufacturing operations, routing and scheduling of vehicles, and the performance uh, optimization of transportation systems for merchandise and people, continuous improvement programs. And then there is another line of research uh, concerned with ranking and benchmarking uh, systems where I design data uh, involved analysis-based performance evaluation benchmarking methodologies and look into applications in areas such as forecasting, classification, banking, investments, uh, mergers, and acquisitions. I'm also considered uh, concerned with the design of multi-criteria indices with applications in uh, corporate social responsibility or ESG uh, and the uh, design of ranking systems with applications in banking, investment, and again, uh, ESG. Uh, social responsibility uh, and uh, <clears throat> in terms of risk modeling analysis uh, I'm basically focusing from a methodological perspective on designing new classifiers the applications uh, application areas that I've been uh, looking into are bankruptcy and distress prediction uh, credit scoring uh, electronic security and fraud detection uh, with most of my research actually uh, published in the area of bankruptcy and distress prediction. Uh, then I also work on public-private partnerships, basically on the design of uh, decision support systems uh, for both hard and soft infrastructure projects uh, to assist uh, the uh, stakeholders in uh, making the right uh, decisions, designing the right um, proposals and so on. And finally, I work on the resilience of communities and organizations, again, by uh, proposing strategic resilience uh, solutions for governments and uh, the private sector. So this is, uh, I would say, pretty much uh, most of what uh, I do in terms of, of research. Yeah, so it's a, an amazing profile and actually touching all the main areas of business and I think governments and, and, uh, and a lot of areas, especially in private and public companies. So one just question just for me is, is always, I always like to look at, with your name, we can see that you have different backgrounds and you mentioned Canada, Netherlands and different countries. So where is your background in terms of culture? It's always interesting to see that part. Yeah. I always like to put the human touch. I, I was born in Morocco, actually. Ah, fantastic. Yeah, primary and secondary education, partly in, in, in Morocco, and then I moved to Canada to finish my secondary school education, and then I did, did my, all my university studies in Canada. I worked in Canada for a few years uh, before going to the Netherlands, uh, and then I went back to Canada, and from Canada, uh, I moved to Edinburgh. It's amazing because it's it's kind of from Africa to North America, then Europe, and then of course in the north of uh, UK in the, in the Scotland. So, um, and I think starting with that, from from your scientific education and all these different multicultural, um, how did you come back to the areas of from mathematics to business analytics? And this is a very important thing for our world. How did you see the evolution? Let's say in the next in the last 10, 20 years. Um, um, when it comes to it, the education in the, in the sense of uh, from mathematics to business analytics, at the moment everything is about analytics at the end of the day, but as well coming more to predictive. So how do you see the evolution purely from an education and, and even uh, academic perspective? Well, actually, uh, analytics is a new uh, term, uh, but analytics has been, has been there for forever. I mean, Statistics is analytics, operations research is analytics, artificial intelligence is analytics. Uh, so analytics has been there, so it's just now the rebranding uh, for the sake of integrating all these disciplines into under the umbrella of, uh, of analytics. And when it comes to business analytics, is simply uh, all the applications in uh, business areas. Uh, from an educational perspective, uh, there is uh, still a, a, a lack of proper training in most universities around the world in the area of analytics. Although uh, nowadays, more than ever, 
the need for uh, professionals in this area is uh, is growing, and actually there is a, a serious shortage uh, of, uh, of people in this area. So th this is for uh, uh, universities and companies the way to move forward. Uh, over the the the, the last uh, 40, 50 years, uh, most of the uh, most companies actually uh, were looking uh, into uh, the use of uh, descriptive analytics. Uh, nowadays, uh, most companies, even SMEs, uh, make use of uh, descriptive analytics. Uh, uh, however, uh, in terms of predictive analytics, only large companies, especially in the finance sector, have been concerned uh, or focusing on predictive analytics. Although nowadays uh, things are moving, yet even in the large corporations, multinational corporations, they are still lagging behind in terms of predictive analytics. And uh, in terms of this uh, prescriptive analytics, obviously the <laughs> Uh, organizations are, are uh, yet to catch up on, on this because uh, most of, of the time uh, they can't simply afford having uh, their own units of uh, prescriptive analytics and so mostly they will they will deal with, with consulting companies for example so there is there is still a lot of uh, room for improvements. There is uh, still uh, companies are still in the process of adopting all sorts of uh, analytics uh, areas in their uh, daily operations, um, their planning, and so on. Uh, obviously, the uh, integration of uh, technology now uh, and the technological solutions that have been uh, uh, evolving and uh, being adapted uh, uh, so far have uh, played a significant role uh, in our daily life and business life. Uh, but this is this is just the start. This is just the start. Uh, I think the industry, in my opinion, is lagging behind in terms of uh, the supply of uh, proper affordable uh, solutions uh, for all sorts of stakeholders. Uh, so this is where the shortage is and this is where I think that there is a, a, there is a need for more cooperation between uh, uh, technology companies, uh, universities and, and uh, society in general. Uh, to meet the needs of uh, business communities and, uh, and individuals, uh, institutions, uh, both governmental and non-governmental institutions, uh, cities, uh, and so on. So th there is a lot, still a lot of room for for improvement. We are just starting to see the you know the the tip of the iceberg at this at this point in time in terms of what could be done with uh, uh, analytics and, uh, and technology. So the, being the, the, the University of Edinburgh is one of the top uh, universities in the world in terms of engineering and as well business, business analytics. So one of the things that I, I would like to ask you is how do you see, so there's definitely a, a big uh, lack of resources and availability of professionals in this area. And as well, there's a huge uh, issue in terms of, uh, if you look at the financial industry, that is much more advanced in terms of analytics and, and business intelligence, and the rest of the industries, which are most of them still not even digital transformed. Yes. How do you see this part, especially from an education perspective, that we have a, a, a financial world super advanced, and then we have the rest of the business world in kind of stone age and actually pre-digital pre most <laughs> of the cases? Well, as, as usual, money drives everything. So, <laughs> uh, when it comes to investment, so uh, people are very uh, keen on using the latest uh, technologies uh, and decision support systems uh, to uh, inform their decision making. Uh, in other sectors, uh, things are moving, but not at the same pace. Uh, one of the reasons uh, behind this uh, uh, lagging uh, is the uh, lack of people who are properly trained in these areas. Uh, 
so for the time being, uh, most often the expertise is either within universities or within uh, uh, big consulting firms. Uh, big consulting firms uh, usually uh, can uh, people cannot afford them. Organizations like SMEs cannot afford them. Uh, so it remains that uh, the probably the cheap way of of uh, of improving on the technology uh, side uh, is to seek help from uh, universities and to uh, cooperate actually with universities, because you see that the, nowadays uh, there are tons of data everywhere. Uh, apart from the quality of the data and the availability of data, the problem we are facing here is um, most often people don't know what to do with the data. The data in itself has no value if it's, uh, there is no intelligence uh, extracted from it. Uh, and this is where uh, analytics come uh, to play. Uh, universities usually have that ex uh, expertise in, in analytics in general, in business analytics in particular. Uh, uh, within business schools, within pure science or informatics schools, uh, within engineering schools and so on, mathematics schools. So uh, I think the way forward uh, is more win-win corporations between uh, industry and, uh, and universities. Uh, universities have the expertise, uh, industries have data, uh, on uh, all sorts of uh, problems and phenomena that the university can help them uh, analyze and assist them uh, and, and get, get actually some intelligence from uh, that data that the industry can reuse in uh, uh, re-engineering their products or services or designing new ones. So the, the innovation, both actually at the university level and at the industry level, uh, uh, if there is no cooperation, then it will go at a very slow pace compared to the situation where they will be cooperating and sharing uh, data and information. One of the, the fears of industry is confidentiality of the data. Data is very often a weapon, a competitive weapon. So what uh, people need to realize is that uh, uh, there are confidentiality agreements between the universities, uh, generally speaking, and industry. And there is, there is no fear, actually, uh, from uh, the data being uh, passed on to others or used uh, in, in any way that is not research-oriented and that is not... Uh, uh, focusing on extracting intelligence uh, that would assist those organizations that provide the data with uh, insight into their data and with uh, uh, possibilities for improving uh, their businesses. So picking on that, and I think this is, uh, I want to come back again to the, I think that there's an alarming issues around the, the, the way we look at science, um, the way we look at data. And the way you look at the separation between the business world and the financial world. And I think especially at the days we're living, this is going to be even more alarming and more concerned. Although, of course, this opens a lot of opportunities. So one of the questions probably to start, and I want to touch different things in terms of business analytics and as well the relationship with machine learning and, uh, and artificial intelligence. So from your experience working with a lot of different industries like uh, banking, finance, business, how you see specifically the difference between the financial industry, the banking industry, and the rest of the business in general? So you mentioned, the, of course, the SMEs and, the, and the, of course, the small companies. But in general, I'm talking just from a banking and financial perspective and the rest of the industries, because I think this is an important point at the moment. Well, from a financial perspective, uh, we are talking here about investors, investment. Uh, we are talking about... Uh, uh, basically companies listed on stock exchanges uh, as a way for them to uh, raise funds. Uh, so this, the, the decision-making process here for investors is crucial. Uh, 
uh, and in uh, turbulent times like these, uh, it's even uh, more important uh, to uh, try to uh, get as much intelligence from the data as possible and to make decisions in an optimal way or near optimal way, which means using uh, both uh, predictive and prescriptive analytics methodologies. Now, in terms of banking with the current situation, uh, banks are obviously being uh, affected uh, hugely, I would say, uh, for the very simple reason that uh, one of the uh, uh, one of their uh, big parts of the portfolio of activities has to do with loans, and with the current situation where businesses are shut down uh, and individuals are losing their jobs, uh, the problem that the uh, banking sector is facing is uh, how to deal with this situation uh, to avoid uh, going bankrupt. So this is uh, this is the major issue. Obviously, the government will be uh, uh, bailing out eventually the the, the big banks. But uh, what about the, the small banks? So in, in my opinion, at this point in time, whether we are talking about the financial sector or the banking sector or actually manufacturing sector or any other sector, uh, it is crucial. Uh, including actually the public sector, it is crucial that we start rethinking our business models. So th this is this is a, a major thing that needs to be looked at uh, uh, and rather rapidly because uh, with this pandemic, uh, one thing that we are uh, we start to realize is that globalization has weaknesses. And we need to think about other types of models uh, that would reduce the vulnerability of countries, economies, uh, citizens uh, to uh, situations of this nature. Uh, and we don't know. We, the, the, these are very rare events, uh, but we have been uh, talking about very rare events for a long time although like economic crisis and so on, and then we can clearly see that almost now every 10 years or so, we have either an economic crisis or a financial crisis or both. Uh, and, and now it's the pandemics. Uh, epidemics have been there for a while, but then we have now a pandemic. So uh, bottom line is uh, the business models needs to be robust enough, uh, to uh, for the for countries and uh, companies, whether local or global supply chains, regional supply chains, to actually more, be more resilient uh, to uh, these sort of events. So, picking on that, and I think this, this brings me to mind two major events that probably this and plot everything that is happening, especially in the geopolitics. There was the Brexit with Cambridge Analytica and as well, which was provoked mostly by manipulation of data analytics. And then the second, of course, with the US elections that, uh, of course, created the, the emancipation of Trump and everything that comes with it. But not looking at the politics, looking purely on data. One of the things that uh, it's actually quite scary, and I want your opinion on that, is, is that so from a scientific perspective, I think people like us that are on the data parts and on the analytics, there's no surprises here. I think probably we all predicted what is going to happen. And I think we are predicting even, even right now with the financial issues and recession, of course, this is quite urgent. And you, you touch one very important thing that is the business models. But the irony is that, for instance, for my experience working worldwide, and even, for instance, if you look at data from the World Bank, so that, there's around 450 million SMEs and startups in the world, which is 90% of the world economy. If you, if you take the 10% from the big corporations, but the big corporations, although they are representing a huge part of the GDP, they don't represent the jobs and the, and the economy. Yes. So that means we have a paradox immediately starting with that, that 10% drive the world economy and create this crash, especially financial and economics. And then we have the 90% of the rest of the world that that brings and i want to just go purely from an analytics perspective i was re researching yesterday and um and the last days so if you look for instance the cost of human life is one hundred fifty thousand uh, dollars per year let's say if you look 
from a pure numbers perspective, economics perspective. And if you look, for instance, what is happening with the, the US, uh, and, and we go to the business analytics from here. If you look at the US, and this is data from MarketWatch and Wall Street Journal. So the US, more or less the costs so far um, with, the, with the coronavirus is around $150 billion. But if the, there was no really um, control and social distance and all the, the quarantine part that has been going, it could go to $5.6 trillion. So there was a bailout of $2.2 trillion. I'm talking just US numbers. And the rest of the world right now is a bit of a chaos. We have here in the UK a bit more of stabilization, but the, the, the situation is not very good. So my question here, purely from a data perspective, it's very easy to calculate this. This is not rocket science. But, but the question is, why are we failing so big into um, making this come to the, our leaders, and as well, this comes from education, and you are in one of the leading universities in the world. And as well, how can we make sure that this data is used minimally intelligently? Because it, a lot of these things, for instance, if we would be easier probably to pay, I don't know, $1,000 or $2,000 per person in the planet than actually putting all these trillion dollars of bailouts and probably would solve the problems of the world economy and all the debt. So my question right now is, how do you see this? Because there's the data, that is the reality. And of course, uh, society is more complex. But from the data perspective, it's very black and, black and white. Data is data. And like you said, um, one thing is data that is not um, mined, is not uh, uh, crunched. And the other thing is, is when we go to specifically in this level of countries, there, there's some things that are really almost, um, I would say, stupid and, and as well, no, no logic. Uh, and I think we have this paradox that as machines become more advanced, we have this kind of paranoia in terms of marks. So how do you see this? Because you, as a scientist and as a researcher, I'm sure this, this creates a lot of questions for you, especially dealing with data. And, and as well, I'm trying to understand how can we come out of this a bit better? Because definitely we're not seeing a lot of uh, intelligence here. Well, uh, as I said before, data uh, on itself, it has no value. So the, the value comes from processing that data, from extracting intelligence from it, and from designing uh, proper decision support systems to take account of that intelligence, to come up with suggestions or plans or decisions uh, that one could potentially implement. The, the, I think the major issue with what we are facing today is the ethics side of data and the lack of uh, regulation actually on the use of data. Uh, so that's uh, the, the, the technology now allows us to uh, collect huge amounts of data. Uh, what we make uh, uh, of it is a different story when it comes to ethics. So I think this is one of the major problems. Uh, there are no simple solutions to that because uh, solutions might end up actually stopping the, the, the progress. So th there should be a balance out there in terms of uh, what you make out of the, that data, uh, who you would share that data with, and uh, most importantly, uh, uh, whether the, some of the stakeholders, uh, including the people who are actually providing that, that data, uh, or the organizations providing that data, uh, okay, they need to agree to this. Uh, otherwise, uh, otherwise we are, we, we, one way or another, the, the people are going to, and organizations are going to refuse to share data and by refusing to share data, uh, if, if there is no regulatory framework, if there is no trust, then obviously the potential of exploiting data uh, is going to be very limited. And we can see this clearly, for example, from an academic perspective, uh, from a research perspective, the fact that, uh, I mean, the simplest things is probably looking at uh, companies listed on stock exchanges. Uh, most of the data providers uh, 
they claim they are reporting uh, data on all sorts of aspects of organizations or companies that are listed on stock exchanges. The reality is most of the data is missing. Uh, <clears throat> reason being is that organizations are not necessarily sharing the data. Uh, uh, and so that raises questions. Uh, one of them is, uh, do they have something to hide? Uh, or simply, uh, they have nothing to hide, but things that are, they are entitled to, which is basically, uh, they want to hide their, their strategies because from the data you can even extract the type of strategies that they are using and so on and so forth. So again, from a competitive perspective, uh, a lot of uh, organizations are actually, actually not sharing their data for the sake of continuing to uh, to have a competitive edge with that uh, proprietary data that they have, uh, yeah. So there are there are all sorts of issues with the, with the data. I think from a, a legal perspective, uh, more has to be done uh, to make sure that. Uh, uh, on one hand, we increase the confidence of the data owners uh, to share. Uh, and on the other hand, making sure that we don't cross boundaries that we should not be crossing uh, in terms of uh, what we do with that data and so on. So one, one question on that, and you, you touch, uh, of course, the ethics of data, the regulation of data, the legal parts of this. But there's one thing that, uh, for me, it's, it's incredibly, and of course, the, the geopolitics that, that are coming out of this. So bearing in mind that at the moment we have a world completely without lack of leadership that understands what we're talking about, um, and we have to be realistic, forget the politics, it's, it's a fact, okay? And it's going probably in the worst direction, because we're going to a direction that the technology is evolving faster, and scientists and the, the community, the scientific community, like you and, and a lot of others, are doing fantastic work in, in, in the technology itself. But then the society is completely almost uh, in a total chaos of lack of dynamics on this. And this is happening, I think, in most of the countries in the world. Even for us, we are in the UK, which is the sixth economy uh, in the world, or fifth according to the different data sources as well. And it has, for instance, the, the percentage of deaths from COVID-19 is one of the worst in the world. So I think we have a, a paradox um, between, and you touch the different areas. So, so in one end, and I think Professor Arari uh, recently mentioned um, that we have the scientists and the best technology in the history of mankind. And then they have probably one of the worst leaderships in the history of mankind. So this is coming, most of our leaderships are coming from universities as well. So how can we tackle this point that as we have more and I, 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 we go in the near, in the near um, to talk about the artificial intelligence, but this is a big thing um, and as well the data is not going to stop. And as well the point is that how can we, and I, I have to ask because you are as well a teacher, how do you see being pragmatic right now? Because we cannot get for instance, the countries to agree in the way to use data. Uh, we have the geopolitical divisions getting worse. And probably we're going to have more and more battles in the arms uh, of race uh, or the data arms race. So how can we just be practical right now to look at data and let's say if I'm a small business to use this or if I'm a, a bank or, or if I'm a government, how can we bring this in a way that we can actually create a more, more uh, somehow um, balanced society when it comes to data and business analytics? Look, when it comes to data, uh, there will always be the issue of, I own the data. Uh, and therefore, uh, in very many ways, I, I have the right to keep it to myself. So uh, that will always exist uh, for some type of data. For other type of data, we have no control over those who collect the data anyway. Uh, and the data comes from uh, from ordinary citizens and their behavior and so on and so forth. So the, 
it has been extensively used uh, for the last 30, 40 years uh, in all sorts of forms, uh, collected in all sorts of ways uh, in uh, marketing, for example. Uh, but apart from the marketing field, uh, there are all sorts of other types of, of uh, data that will remain uh, not shared. Although uh, uh, nowadays uh, countries, not only universities, but countries are talking about setting up uh, data hubs where people can actually store the data and share it, most importantly, with others so that uh, from a research perspective, uh, people can make uh, more come up with more innovations, uh, make progress on how to improve decision processes uh, or even physical or engineering processes and so on and so forth. Uh, the way forward, there are actually, uh, well, I, I would like to emphasize here that uh, unlike uh, uh, businesses, uh, research in academia is uh, scientific in nature. So we, we have no, uh, political agenda or uh, commercial agenda as such, it's purely scientific. Now, what we come up with in universities and what uh, uh, industry does with it is a different story. Uh, from a, a, a purely innovative uh, perspective, uh, there, there should be a more trust uh, and more win-win uh, sort of cooperation relationships between uh, academia and, and industry uh, uh, to drive innovation because uh, the, the, the big corporations who can afford having research centers uh, uh, and uh, can develop technology uh, and, and use it and sell it and, and, and so on are, are very few when you think about it. It's just the global giants that can afford that. So for SMEs, for example, operating in uh, the technology sector or other uh, sectors but using technology, uh, uh, any interaction or cooperation with the universities uh, would actually benefit them in very many different ways. One way of benefiting them is actually once we come up with solutions, they are the first ones to use the solutions. Uh, the solutions or the insight they will get from their data and, and so on will allow them to uh, improve their products and services or uh, design new ones. So without this uh, partnership between uh, uh, academia and uh, uh, industry, I think we are uh, just uh, uh, holding back on, on progress that could, be, that could be made. There is a lot of potential, but it's not exploited. So I think win-win corporations um, are, the, are the way forward. As to uh, leaders, uh, uh, well, without getting into the, the politics, we can clearly see that nowadays, um, a very, very limited number of uh, global organizations and supply chains are basically ruling the world. Uh, uh, globalization uh, has its, its, its pros, but it also has its cons. And uh, the cons come uh, uh, clearly under uh, scrutiny now uh, uh, when we see that uh, countries uh, uh, are actually very vulnerable to this, very vulnerable to the fact that, okay, most of their supply uh, come from abroad. Most of their supply depends on uh, these uh, global organizations, which in very many ways uh, uh, tend to be paralyzed in, in, in situations like this. Uh, the end of the day, it's a pandemic. Uh, uh, people are uh, sick everywhere and they, cannot uh, uh, work uh, and we cannot anyway push them to, to go to work uh, ethically because of the, the, the economy. And as a result of that, everything uh, has come to uh, a standstill situation. 
So uh, I think that uh, uh, governments need to be a little bit uh, uh, more realistic and take more responsibility in making sure that they secure the uh, supply of at least uh, the basic survival commodities uh, like food and medicine and so on and so forth. And they it, somehow uh, products and services uh, that uh, uh, the citizens need needs to be categorized into uh, different categories based on how critical they are uh, to the population and eventually uh, uh, the more critical ones need to have uh, local and regional and national supply chains uh, uh, rather than international supply chains. Uh, or at least uh, there should be some uh, hybrid use of, of, of the types of supply chains uh, on one hand and on the other hand uh, in terms of employment and so on. I think the uh, uh, local, regional, and national uh, development of the uh, of all sorts of uh, uh, production distribution systems uh, uh, would help with the, the problem of unemployment. So I, I think the bottom line is uh, we need to stop relying entirely on global supply chains. And we, as governments, uh, we have the re responsibility of actually looking uh, after our nations and our citizens and decentralizing, uh, to some extent, uh, the, the, the supply uh, to be able to be self-sufficient uh, uh, and resilient, most importantly, resilient to phenomena like this. So picking on the um, and coming back to business and uh, analytics and um, all the areas between business analytics and, and precisely to look at supply chain and rankings. So I've been working for us a lot in rankings and indexes. So how do you see this area of business analytics being able to help countries and governments? So particular examples in the areas of expertise that they've been working so far. Well, uh, analytics uh, helps in all sorts of areas. In terms of uh, governments, obviously, uh, uh, the use of, of technology can help a lot in uh, basically addressing or servicing the basic needs of the population. Uh, I'm not necessarily talking about countries like uh, uh, North American or European uh, countries but uh, countries all over the world, uh, they are lagging behind in terms of the use of uh, technology to service the population. Uh, there is a lot of uh, bureaucracy uh, and a lot of uh, inconvenience uh, when things actually can be, can be done and dealt with, uh, with technology in a very simple and effective way. Uh, so, uh, all over the world, actually, we are lacking uh, on, or lagging behind on the use of technology, including in developed uh, countries and economies. Uh, cities are still lagging behind in terms of integrating uh, technology to serve their citizens and their business communities. Uh, governments are, are experiencing the same, same problem, whether local, regional, or, or, or national, in many parts of the world. Uh, so I think technology can, from this perspective, uh, improve uh, the well-being of citizens uh, and uh, uh, help uh, uh, organizations or entities in society, such as cities, to actually flourish. Uh, problem obviously remains that, okay, technology is not affordable always. So uh, we need technological solutions that are affordable, uh, uh, that city councils can invest in, that governments can invest in, uh, and they need to be secure as well. Uh, and there is more on the, on the security side these days. So uh, I think that uh, security aspects of things like the blockchain and so on, would have to be uh, adopted uh, extensively by uh, by governmental authorities, uh, governments, whether local, regional, or national, 
to make sure that uh, data is uh, is not messed up with, is not used uh, in, uh, in a non-proper way by uh, other parties uh, to interfere with the, the governmental affairs. So one, one question on that area of uh, using blockchain for supply chain and for government uh, benchmarking and improving the situation and machine learning. Can you give us an example? Because I think there's a lot of myths around blockchain and, and probably even more about AI because when you speak about AI, people think that it's like the Terminator or stuff like that. Can you give us some examples, concrete, especially in the areas that you mentioned, like supply chain, ranking, benchmarking, and multi-criteria design for governments and private and relationships? Okay, in terms of, uh, of benchmarking, I think, uh, look, in, in, in the real world, uh, the, the problem is most of the time there is no such thing as benchmark, benchmarking, okay? Uh, and most of the time, uh, well, actually some organizations do benchmark themselves with others in, in the industry, okay? Uh, some organizations like uh, World Health Organization or the World Bank and so on will somehow uh, provide some sort of uh, information on all sorts of issues related to countries uh, and so on, and eventually provide some sort of ranking, uh, but not always. Uh, I think uh, uh, rankings uh, are important for several reasons. One of them is uh, by, by knowing where you stand on the ranking side on any one or multiple criteria or aspects, uh, you know where, when you know where you stand, then you, you can improve, okay? If you are not amongst the top, you know where you stand, and if you can identify why you are lagging behind, then you can, through continuous improvement programs, get there uh, uh, with the right uh, uh, investments and the right decisions to move uh, uh, up the, the, the rankings. The other thing is, uh, in many areas, uh, nobody wants to be lagging behind. Uh, so if you are, uh, for some reason, uh, you believe that, uh, let's say, let's talk about the, for example, ranking of cities. Okay, and we can talk about the ranking of cities from, let's say, crime perspective. No city would want to be on, on, on the top uh, uh, in terms of crime, for example. Uh, but if we are not providing uh, uh, those rankings and information on, for example, a crime, which would help not only uh, the authorities uh, uh, to look into the problems which are very often either not known or ignored, uh, without those rankings, they will not be able to see clearly that there are issues and they need to act upon them. Uh, if you uh, look at uh, rankings of uh, corporations, for example, uh, from an investment perspective, that's crucial because if, if uh, for example, you are a socially responsible investor and on the ranking side, although, okay, we always take into account, for example, uh, the return and risk and so on, but uh, if you are socially responsible as an investor, you would want to have that social uh, aspect included in the criteria for ranking organizations. So that you you would choose uh, uh, companies to invest in based on your preferences, uh, not only on what you will get out of it money-wise, but also in terms of uh, uh, what these organizations and are doing for society. Uh, are they being socially responsible, uh, environmentally responsible, and so on and so forth. So I think the rankings, uh, which are part of the uh, benchmarking exercise, uh, are crucial uh, uh, for decision makers and for actually the general population in very many different areas. Even the general population is concerned with that. 
just publishing the rankings in itself, okay, puts pressure into the poor performers uh, to move forward, to do something about the, the, the status, their status uh, of being a poor performer. So I think this is crucial information for, uh, for ordinary citizens and for decision makers in very many different occupation areas. So on this level of the rankings, and I think this is critical because the internet that we have today is still, although Google started indexing the internet and creating the page rank, which was probably the first global ranking for data and for knowledge, it been since then actually nothing really happened on a big scale. So how could we, and I think that's part of the work we're doing with Cities ABC in terms of ranking cities, but for instance, um, in terms of the way, uh, and coming back, I would like to, to, to use one, one example from you. So for instance, how would you use the blockchain and AI? I think this is important for our audience. Let's say we're ranking a country or a city. Let's use a specific thing. Okay, so look, blockchain technology is a technology to enhance security, okay? And to enhance security for all sorts of reasons, one of them is fraud, okay? So uh, as, as such, everybody needs this, okay? And uh, banks and uh, uh, investments, uh, uh, companies and so on would need this even, even more. Governments obviously uh, would need this even more because of the sensitivity of the data and so on. But apart from, from this, artificial intelligence is used uh, basically in terms of its analytics or analytical tools, is used to extract intelligence from the data, to extract patterns in, in, uh, from the data, exploit those patterns in uh, uh, making forecasts for the future, uh, extract those patterns uh, to find out solutions to all sorts of problems, uh, whether in the uh, medicine or uh, engineering or decision-making in general, and so on and so forth. So. Uh, they all these technologies they are uh, they they play different roles uh, and they are all important uh, to be uh, integrated all together uh, in all sorts of applications, uh, both for security matters and for proper decision making. So, from your work in terms of um, especially the the areas of forecasting and prescriptive. Yeah. Um, can you give some examples of the work you've been doing on this area, especially in banking and, and in governments? Because I think it's really important for our audience as well to understand that as well, to look at new angles that we can come out of, uh, especially all the issues going on in the world with practical things. Well, uh, in terms of forecasting, uh, uh, as far as the research I'm doing, uh, I'm actually uh, doing research in the area of analytics. So what I'm doing is I am designing new methodologies or new models for uh, predicting risk class, okay? Uh, with applications in all sorts of areas, the ones that I am currently focusing on or been focusing on for a, a little while now are basically uh, bankruptcy and distress prediction for uh, uh, companies listed on stock exchanges. Okay, so uh, one potential question is why am I doing this? Okay, there are, there are already tons of, of uh, classifiers or uh, models that will allow one to predict the risk class. Well, it's, it's very simple. Each model or methodology comes with its pros and cons. The bottom line is in practice how these methodologies perform. And uh, the, the, the ones that, that I've been designing and I'm still actually designing, I have tons of others uh, coming, uh, uh, are basically showing uh, an unprecedented uh, performance in terms of classification. Uh, and that will allow us to, for example, properly classify uh, companies listed on stock exchanges into the proper uh, risk category, uh, 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 and that's a crucial input, input uh, for investment decisions. Uh, uh, they could be used uh, for uh, classification of uh, data in general uh, in all sorts of application areas uh, to detect anomalies, for example, uh, fraud, uh, 
uh, medical anomalies like uh, diseases and so on, cancer and so on. So the, the, there are all, all sorts of application uh, applications uh, for uh, these uh, sort of research. Uh, as I said, the ones I'm focusing on right now are basically in uh, bankruptcy and distress. And we are going to see a lot of these uh, bankrupt uh, or distressed. Uh, well, everybody is distressed now. How many of these will translate into bankruptcy? I'm guessing a lot. Uh, this is unprecedented, and the number of bankruptcy cases that we will be seeing over the uh, the coming uh, the coming year is going to be uh, unfortunately very large. So, so I think this is a very good point, and actually looking at this from a positive angle, especially given what is happening in the world market. So, with your kind of technology and research, we can actually at least scale and avoid a lot of the issues. So for instance, how can, and probably for the people from governments listening to us, I think would be good to understand, because let's say, if we use uh, one of your quantitative methodologies to look, let's say, the companies in UK, because for instance, in the US and UK, I think right now, the rate is around two in five companies are going getting bankrupt or closing, okay? Which is alarming, and this is probably the most positive part. But how can we accelerate this? Because it wouldn't be better almost for the governments to just looking from, from, a, from a stock market perspective, it's easier. From the rest of the, the, the SMEs is more difficult. But wouldn't it be better almost to get these rankings to go along and predict this instead of waiting for the disaster to happen? Because if you can predict this, we can say, okay, this quantity is better to close these companies now, pay these people and get them some stuff to keep the equilibrium. I'm just thinking, how can we look at the pragmatism on this? Because the problem right now is, is how can we come up with these models that create more hope and more narrative? Otherwise, we're going to have a very screwed up world and, and we are getting in that direction, unfortunately. Uh, look, uh, I'm going to uh, uh, take off the hat of the scientists, of the researchers, <laughs> okay. uh, uh, or, or the... No, but you are as well a technologist, so that's so very important. <laughs> yes, but, but, but the bottom line is uh, uh, all these models, okay, remain models, right? Which means uh, they are simplifications of reality, which means that they are based on assumptions, okay? We are facing a, uh, a new uh, situation here, unprecedented situation, okay? Uh, regardless of the uh, quantitative or analytical tools that we use to analyze the situation, uh, uh, make predictions or to make decisions, it remains that nobody has actually the, the experience uh, and the right data to feed the models with, to come up with uh, proper, uh, uh, proper decisions. So here, everybody is going to try to do its, uh, the best they can with the, the, the data they have, which is very limited uh, and doesn't show the big picture. Uh, let me just be a little bit more specific. Obviously, uh, what, what one can hypothetically uh, do is... Uh, perform, for example, a benchmarking uh, uh, exercise uh, on the UK banking sector. Okay. Uh, so we know where the banks at this point in time stand compared to a few months ago. Uh, we can also use all sorts of uh, risk modeling frameworks uh, to try to predict uh, which banks are going to fail, which, one, which ones are not going to fail, uh, uh, and the same thing for companies and so on. But the bottom line is, the models are fed with data, and this data uh, uh, right now is not available for most people. So we, there are patterns now that have never been exploited uh, and that we are still not aware of uh, uh, fully uh, uh, to be able to uh, come up with forecasts that are very reliable. So the, uh, right now, it's, in my opinion, a lot of speculation. 
even for those who have access to some data, uh, because nobody have access to the actual data on the actual picture. For the very simple reason that everything is shut down. So this, this yeah. is really exceptional. Yeah, it's, uh, but at the same time we have, but yeah, I understand, but you could go for probably, actually it would be a great case study and I think we need to write, probably do an interview about the case study for that. So we've been going for one hour, which is fantastic and there's a lot of things here that I think especially, I hope a lot of governments can see this interview. So uh, one, one, last of the, question. one of the things here I would like to mention is that, okay, uh, this situation is, is, I mean, we can't, we can't describe it, okay? It's a, a disaster. Yet from this disaster, actually a lot is going to be, uh, exactly. to, to be done, uh, both from a research perspective and uh, from the business perspective, once we have, gone through this and we started to recover uh, it's only then that data will become available and that we will be able to uh, learn from yeah but but probably and i think uh, probably as the last question is i think if we right now let's say for instance, a simple example if we apply this to one country would be going to companies house picking data and then doing surveys with most of the, the, the business and I think with picking some of the models of data that you have, we could preview, I think, probably 80% or 90% of the business in a country-specific way is going to happen. And that, that could actually avoid the disaster of having people to turn off to, to despair and, and a lot of other things. And that could avoid a huge problem that at the moment it can happen, because at the moment we are in the stage that is still the stage of overwhelmed, but I think in one or two months, the things are going to become really hardcore if this continues. Um, so, yeah, I think I would probably, uh, to finalize, and I think bringing your hat as both a technologist and as well an academic, um, how could we just picking a model of faith and hope, because I think we need that more than ever, um, how would you put that, because you are as well a person that codes, uh, you've been working with machine learning and the business analytics, so how can we, let's say, for the UK government, for the European Union, for the US government, for any government in the world, how can we leave a message of hope? Because I think that's what we need as well, as scientists and thought leaders, to bring this, so like concrete things, so, because uh, I just mentioned this uh, company's house, but I'm sure you have much better models than me in terms of designing methodologies. Well, the, the message is, uh, is, is simple. Uh, right now, uh, there is a need uh, more than ever actually for uh, governments uh, to coordinate their actions uh, for the sake of saving more lives uh, and uh, making uh, the world recover uh, faster than uh, one can potentially uh, uh, do on its own. So the, the, there is a need for uh, coordination. There is a need for sharing of, of data and sharing of experiences. Uh, uh, and, uh, obviously, uh, technology companies would have a, a, a very important role to play here uh, by uh, uh, quickly uh, rethinking uh, their uh, uh, technological solutions and deploying them uh, uh, even for free uh, during this uh, period of time, uh, uh, difficult times, uh, uh, for, to, to, for the sake of helping uh, the population in general, decision makers uh, in, in particular, uh, move us uh, forward to a safer place. So, um... I, I think, well, we, we finish around one hour. So thank you so much, Professor Jabal. I don't know if there's any final uh, thing that you want to talk, because we talk about ranking supply chain, analytics as the research and education. Any final words? Um, uh, well, uh, you know, we, we, we still, the world will still continue to, <laughs> to function. Okay, people are still uh, in need of all sorts of commodities. Education is one of them and the education sector would have to uh, move very, very quickly uh, all over the world at uh, all levels, whether primary, secondary, or higher education, 
into a more resilient way of uh, delivering uh, education. Uh, uh, and more than ever now, distance learning and virtual classrooms and so on uh, are becoming uh, very, uh, a very important and timely solution uh, uh, to be adopted. Technology companies obviously would have to step uh, in at this point in time and uh, eventually provide uh, the technology uh, uh, at affordable uh, prices or even for free at this uh, point in time, at least for the next few months, uh, if not a year, before things go back to uh, normal. And it is a business opportunity for them because uh, when people try things and uh, the things are uh, successful, they give results, people uh, end up adopting them. So this is, uh, this is an opportunity actually for them to, to contribute. I completely say, and I think it's a great opportunity as well for business people to take courses on business analytics and, and learn with experts like you. So that's amazing. Um, thank you so much, Professor Javal. I think we will put the bio and where people can pick uh, information about you and some of the, there's some videos of you in YouTube as well that uh, we'll be uh, linking. Um, well, uh, it's a pleasure. So, uh, yeah. we'll continue. you're working as well with us with the Cities ABC project and we are looking to solve some of these problems together. Definitely. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> no, no. Thank you. Okay.